What's up, Lions of Liberty fans? You can now support this show on Patreon and get exclusive access to bonus audio and video content, including Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, bonus segments with guests, and so much more. Head on over to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another edition of Felony Friday, a weekly show right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, Felony Friday is a show where we focus on the criminal justice system or more accurately, the injustice system that so many people suffer from in this country. This show, Felony Friday, it's about exposing this broken system, of course, but it's also about, as you've heard in the past, longtime listeners of this show know that felons come on this show and share their personal stories, their stories of overcoming obstacles and fighting their way to become successful after prison. But it's also about really examining changes in the law, And in this case, today's episode is going to be about one of those such changes. In this case, a very positive change. Uh, My guest today, we're going to be talking about the recent bill that signed into law that legalizes industrialized hemp and the effect on the industry, most notably CBD oils and those types of products, and if they're legal, how they're regulated, things like that. This is a really exciting, informative episode, so you don't want to miss it. You might want to uh, grab a... uh, a pencil and a notepad so you can keep track of the stuff that my guests and I talk about today. Or you can just go to lionsofliberty.com slash FF158. That's where all the notes and links and stuff that my guest is going to reference today and we're going to talk about. You can find all that stuff there on the show notes page because this is episode 158 of Felony Friday. So let's get rolling right into today's show. My guest today on Felony Friday is Mike Meharry. Mike serves as the National Communications Director for the Tenth Amendment Center. He's written three books, Our Last Hope, Rediscovering the Lost Path to Liberty, Smashing Myths, Understanding Madison's Notes on Nullification. And for his third book, Mike teamed up with Tenth Amendment Center Executive Director Michael Bolden in writing Nullification Objections, Dismantling the Opposition. Last time Mike was on this show, that was back on episode 135, we talked about his fight with local authorities in Lexington, Kentucky, um, about their growing use of surveillance cameras in that area. And this time we plan to talk about most of the show about CBD oil. Obviously, it's in the news right now in December with hemp being legalized, and we'll talk through the benefits of CBD and the regulatory environment today, the, the changes there that we're seeing in that market. So, Mike, welcome back to Felony Friday. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Well, thank you for coming on the show, man, and thank you for <clears throat> all that you do in your fight, your work for the Tenth Amendment Center. And uh, you know, I'm, I look forward to picking your brain. And I know you know a lot of my listeners when <clears throat> I posted about this are looking forward to hearing about CBD and what the uh, what's going on right now and what the future is. So we'll get into all that stuff. I want to spend most of the show on that. Before we do that, um, what's the update since, uh, you know, it's been several months since I talked to you last on the, the battle you're waging against local authorities there in Lexington. So what's 
what's new in that situation? Yeah, I'm still fighting with local authorities here in Lexington. We're, we, we've now entered into the second year of the legal process, which I guess is evidence that the wheels of justice grind slowly. Uh, I, I don't remember specifically where we were uh, when we actually did the interview, but just to give people a quick overview, uh, I did some open records requests uh, actually in the summer of 2017 now, uh, trying to get information about cameras that the Lexington Police Department are using. They're secret, super secret cameras, and uh, they don't want to give any information about them. And so I did an open records request, and they denied the information. And so then I appealed to the state attorney general, and the state attorney general sided with me, told the uh, city to hand over the information. The city uh, instead decided to sue me. Uh, So then we entered into the court four-way, which was in the uh, October of 2017 is when the lawsuit actually started. And uh, in that time, I have won twice in uh, circuit court here in Fayette County. And now the city of Lexington still doesn't want to give up the information that has, uh, that they've been told three times to give to me now. And so we're going to the Kentucky Court of Appeals. And so right now we're basically just in the process that the, the city has filed its appeal and we're working on our response. I think it has to be in at the end of this month. So uh, I, I fully expect if we talk again in the fall, this will still be going on. It's, it's gotten to the point of being absurd. So, I mean, what's the, what's the end game here? Is this for, for you to win, I guess, what would have to happen? Or Well, ultimately the, the city needs to turn over the information that I want, which is basically what these cameras are, how they're using them, uh, how they're handling the information, you know, just basic, basic oversight and transparency as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and again, it's, you know, the, the circuit court has twice ruled in my favor and said that the, they're trying to hide it under some exceptions in the open records law and, and they're not doing a very good job of it. But I, I guess uh, they're going with the, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again method. Uh, so I, they're hoping the court of appeals will, will do something different. I don't think it will. Uh, and then I fully expect if they lose at the appellate level, it'll probably go to the state Supreme court. Um, and then if the Supreme court sides with me, then they'll have to turn over the documents and we'll get to see what they've been hiding. Okay. Well, that'll be uh, interesting to continue to watch. And you, what's your website? You're tracking all that stuff on, you have a website for it, right? Yeah. We see you watching Lexington.com. So that's all spelled out one big long word. We see you watching Lexington.com. Okay. I'll link to that in the show notes page as well. So be sure everyone who didn't, well, you could go back and listen to that last episode. Yeah, 135. I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes page or, or, and you can also go to, uh, we see you watching Lexington.com? Yep. Is that right? Okay. You got it. And I'll, I'll link to that on the show notes as well. So let's talk about CBD. Let's and, do. you know, I, I know a lot of my listeners are libertarians. They're probably very familiar with CBD and what it is. But for anybody out there who's not, let's kind of start at that level. Um, just a basic, it doesn't have to be long-winded, but what is CBD oil? Where's it come from? What's it made up of? So it's a substance that is derived from the cannabis plant. It is typically made from hemp, which means that it doesn't have the uh, THC, which is the ingredient that makes you high in marijuana. So it's not a psychopathic type of substance, but it has been shown to have a lot of medical benefits, uh, particularly in uh, treating seizures 
in dealing with things like anxiety and then also uh, inflammation and pain management. Uh, there's actually, you know, real clinical research that has shown this to be effective. And then there, there are countless people that are using it right now and, and finding a relief from various ailments. Uh, so, you know, like I said, it doesn't make you high, but it does come from the, uh, the hemp plant or it can also come from actual marijuana plants, but typically what you see sold uh, commercially here in the United States does not have any THC in it or very low levels. Yeah. I remember, uh, I think one of Ron Paul's final speeches from the House floor when he was, uh, I forget the name of the speech, but it had, there was like 50 things that, that he went through and named. It was like, what if, or something like that. I'm totally blanking on it. But one thing he was talking about was hemp. What if hemp was legal? And um, we did, you know, we, I think we actually broke down that speech and wrote articles about it back then. And I remember writing, researching hemp, and one of the facts of it, if you wanted to get high on hemp from the THC in it, from the hemp plant, you would have to smoke a <laughs> telephone pole, basically, a telephone pole-sized joint of it to get high. So, yeah, the, the prohibition on hemp is one of the most absurd policies, and, and that's saying a lot considering all of the absurd policies our federal government has come up with. But, you know, while maintaining prohibition for, from producing hemp here in the United States. The United States is the number one importer of hemp products, primarily from China and Canada. So can't grow it here, but by golly, we're going to import that stuff from, from other countries. And, you know, it has, hemp has over 25,000 uses, not just the CBD. I think that's probably the best known and, and probably the most commercially valuable at this point. But it's also used uh, for paper. It can be used to make actually like panels for cars, uh, clothing. Uh, it's additive for food. There's nutritional value in hemp seeds. Uh, there's all kinds of things. Biofuels. It, it's an amazing plant. And the fact that the that the federal government up until just a few months ago basically maintained complete prohibition on growing the plant in the United States is just dumb is the only word I can come up with. Yeah, well, there's probably some corruption involved there. I mean, from... from yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I forget the story, but even from the outset... Um, there was a machine invented that processed these hemp plants really quickly. I forget what it was called, but I think wasn't the cotton industry involved in somehow? Yeah, in if you go back to to the beginnings of hemp prohibition, which actually was was after World War II, it was a huge hemp. Uh, hemp was a big factor in you know hemp to vic victory. Hemp was a big thing during World War II. It was made for ropes and, and various things. It was really after that that they cracked down. And and when you look at the uh, entities that were behind pushing for the ban on on hemp production, you find paper companies who had to, you know, timber that didn't want to compete with hemp, and then Dupont was uh, heavily involved because some of the the uh, chemical type things that can be done with hemp, and uh, yeah, so you see these these big corporations once again using the power of the federal government to protect their own markets. Yeah, it's crazy, and I've seen. I don't know if this is entirely true, but I think back. I don't know. In the early 1900s, Henry Ford built a car out of hemp. I think. I, I, think, I think that's true. Like I said, they actually use. I believe it's Toyota that uses hemp panels in uh, the Toyota Camry. Mm -hmm. So you know, it's 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 a, like I said, amazingly versatile, very green plant. It's it's uh, carbon friendly. If if you're mm -hmm. an environmentalist and you care about you know green type plants, there's a guy here in Kentucky that has developed a process that combines uh, hemp with coal that creates a, a much cleaner burning coal. Um, oh, wow. and, and he's basically been 
been locked out of being able to produce this uh, up until recently. So we'll see what happens with the uh, with the federal ban lifted. Yeah, I I don't know what your feelings would be on this, but when I look at cannabis prohibition ending, eventually, you know, um, the cannabis prohibition around THC and psychoactives will end as well. I think. Yes. Um, but I think really the hemp prohibition ending is probably going to have a bigger economic impact as a whole, just based on how flexible the hemp plant is. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think so too. Uh, you know, you see, you had a lot of states, you know, Kentucky is a prime example and I live here in, in the bluegrass state and the agricultural economy was decimated uh, with the crackdown on tobacco. This was a tobacco based mm-hmm. agricultural economy. Uh, hemp grows. Kentucky was one of the number one hemp growing states in the United States up until uh, the federal government decided to ban it. And so there's tremendous potential, uh, especially with what we're seeing, you know, the development of CBD uh, and and then, of course, all of the other potential uh, things that you can do with hemp. There's a huge market for this plant. I think once markets really get going without the fear of any type of, of federal regulation, that uh, you'll see even more things developed using hemp plants. So I, I really do. I think it's going to be a huge uh, uh, economic boom for a lot of agricultural states. And I'm really excited about it. I've got a lot of friends that that have been involved in this industry for a long time. They're excited about it. Uh, you know, they they see the potential to make money. And on the other side of that, where, where there's a the potential to make money, that means there's people that are going to benefit from these products and uh, you know, medications and all of the things that can come out of this because, you know, where there's money, there's markets. And that means people want this stuff. Absolutely. So let's dive into CBD a little bit. And before we get into the regulatory side of it, um, I know we talked beforehand and you've um, had some personal experience with it. So if you wouldn't mind sort of sharing your story with CBD. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have very severe osteoarthritis in my hip, uh, it was diagnosed a number of years ago, and then it got significantly worse last summer. And uh, I also play hockey. I pl- I'm a goalie and I play ice hockey. And it had gotten to the point where I really was having a hard time playing with the issue with my hip. But I'm just not at the point that I want to you know, go through hip replacement and, and do surgery. So I uh, went to the doctor, got some x-rays to see how bad it was. It's bad. <laughs> And uh, started doing physical therapy and, and just trying to come up with a regimen that uh, will allow me to function relatively normal, normally with less pain. And one of the things that was suggested was that I try CBD oil. And uh, so I thought, well, why not? Was that suggested and, by your doctor or just no? Actually, it was, it was suggested by a friend of mine who mm-hmm. who is is in that business. Um, she said, Hey, you know, this is something that's helped a lot of people. It might be beneficial for you. And at that point I started doing some research, uh, started reading about it, found out it does indeed, uh, you know, there actually are clinical tests that show that, uh, it is beneficial for people with inflammation and pain. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, I started doing it, uh, about, oh, I guess it's probably been about three months now. And I honestly have completely weaned myself off of the, uh, the Tylenol and the ibuprofen and the Aleve. Uh, I'm not taking anything at all That's other great. than the CBD. And I've got bone on bone arthritis and I'm playing hockey. So, you know, I still have some pain, you know, it's not, I'm not pain free. I'm never going to be pain free, but uh, it is certainly, it has certainly worked. 
And, uh, you know, some people might say, well, it's, you know, it's all in your head. Well, I don't care where it is, you know, as long as it doesn't hurt. Um, and, and, uh, you know, the hard part for me was kind of trying to figure out the dosing, uh, dosing with CBDs kind of confusing. Uh, there's some pretty good websites out there that, mm-hmm. that people can go to, but, you know, finding the, the amount that, that works for what you need it to work for is kind of tricky, uh, with the various products. But, uh, you know, I went to a, a retail store, brick and mortar place that had some folks in there that were pretty knowledgeable and they kind of helped me figure that out. And it's been smooth sailing. There's, there's no side effects. Um, you know, it's, it's great. I'm, I'm a big believer in it. And, you know, I think the proof is in the pudding. You can, you can come to Lexington and watch me play hockey with a bunch of other old men. <laughs> you can see it works. That's awesome. So is with the dosing, just to touch on that again, is it just, would you say it's uh, sort of dependent on the intended use you need to like, if, for example, is it maybe more dosing for more inflammation you have and less for um, more of a, minor injury or is, is that, you know, I, I don't, I don't know the rhyme or reason. My, my f- approach to it was I started with the really low dose and then kind of built until I, I got to the point where I felt like mm-hmm. that there was uh, where there was real effect. And I did some research again. The, the difficulty is, is that different hemp products have different concentration of actual CBD. So you have to figure out, how many milligrams you're getting in a dropper of the product that you choose. That was kind of the tricky part for me. Gotcha. Uh, but there's some, there's some formulas out there that help you. And then, and then I kind of looked and, and you know, what was suggested for inflammation was, was between a certain range. I started at the low end of that and, uh, and, and kind of built up to it. And, and I feel like at this point that, that it's working for me. So. How, how do you take it? Cause I know you can get it in capsules. You can get it in the oil in the dropper form. People put it in their coffee. How, how do you take it? I do the uh, oil under the tongue. Okay. And, uh, and then I've also got a, a cream, which is if, if anybody's used like biofreeze or, or one of those products that, that kind of gives you the cold effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually a, a, a concoction that is biofreeze type stuff. And, and then uh, every once in a while I, I'll get like the gummies and chew on one of those, like right after a game, if I kind of want to, kind of want to up the dosage a little bit. Okay. Well, that's that's definitely interesting. And I'm uh, actually got a bottle of the I think it's called Charlotte's Web, the CBD oil for my wife for Christmas. Mm-hmm. So she's dealing with some issues with her neck and with her shoulder, doing physical therapy for that. So I'm excited to see her experiment with that and see uh, and see how it works. Um, yeah. Well, like I said, I mean, you know. I'm anecdotal, clearly, but it, it has definitely worked for me because, like I said, I, I was popping ibuprofen and Aleve pretty frequently, and and I haven't had any at all. I'm not even taking it after I play anymore. So, um, you know, and and granted, I'm doing physical therapy, and, and there's some other things. That, you know, I think it's part of a broader treatment, and uh, I would definitely recommend anybody. I'm not giving health advice. I'm not a doctor. I, you know, I'd mm-hmm. recommend talking to your your physician and and, and doing your due diligence and research, but. Um, you know, there's plenty of information out there and, and even the Wikipedia page is really interesting. I had no idea that your body has uh, a cannabinol system that there's receptors that CBD attaches to. Like this is exist in your body. This is a known fact. I had no clue. So, uh, you know, definitely worth doing some research on that just to, just to kind of inform yourself. Yeah, so it would make sense that you could supplement with it. I mean, it's crazy. This stuff was prohibited. but Right. <laughs> anyway, so let, let's get into that because now 
It's not, or is it still prohibited? Because it's yes. kind of confusing. It is. Um, ex- it is extremely confusing the the legal environment right now. So. Let me just kind of, I think probably the easiest thing to do is just let me run down what the farm bill did and what it didn't do. Uh, So up until Trump signed the farm bill, hemp was only legal within a research program or a pilot program uh, that was run by a state where they had legalized it and created the process. Uh, Up until the, the new farm bill, it was technically illegal to sell hemp commercially, uh, and this included uh, CBD uh, and any, any type of hemp products that were domestically made. Now, the cool thing is all those products were out there. I mean, you can walk into you know, shops in California and get a cup of coffee with CBD in it. And you could do this mm-hmm. before the 2014 sign bill, uh, bill was signed. So as states began to open up markets for hemp, a lot of them basically finally just said, you know what, we're going to ignore the federal law completely. We're going to allow commercial sales. And, uh, you know, a, a number of states did this. I think there were 17 states uh, total that were just flat out authorizing commercial sale of, of hemp, hemp products and CBD. So, you know, this is the power of what we call nullification at the 10th Amendment Center. When states quit enforcing federal law, a lot of times it just doesn't get enforced because the federal government lacks the resources, it lacks the personnel, and uh, it just can't do it. So, you know, when you've got hundreds of places in California where you can walk in and buy CBD or medical marijuana for that matter, it doesn't matter what the federal government says or what the DEA wants to do. It's very limited in its ability to enforce its laws. And I really think that the farm bill that passed in 2018 that legalized hemp federally is really a function of state taking action first. I don't think it would have ever happened if states hadn't just finally said, you know what, screw you feds, we're going to do this anyway. The feds are playing follow the leader. You know, it's like the the tail wagging the dog, so to speak. Uh, So, you know, I think that's important to understand. But uh, when Trump signed the bill, basically what it did was it removed hemp from the list of federal control substances. So from now on, hemp will be treated federally as an agricultural commodity. And in fact, it's it's now uh, hemp farmers will now be eligible for all the loans and stupid unconstitutional uh, federal agricultural programs that exist out there. So it's going to be treated like any other crop, uh, like tomatoes or corn or soybeans or whatever. So that's great news. Uh, now, it doesn't change state regulation. States can could still choose to completely ban hemp if they wanted to. Uh, they'd be dumb, but they could mm-hmm. do it. But from a federal standpoint, there'll be no more DEA enforcement. It's no longer on the controlled substances list. And in fact, the way the definition of hemp is written in the farm bill, uh, it does include CBD and food additives. So uh, as far as the DEA is concerned, hemp is completely legal throughout the United States. Where things get murky and confusing, particularly in the realm of CBD, is we also have another agency uh, that we love to hate, the uh, Food and Drug Administration. Mm -hmm. And according to the FDA, it regulates CBD as a drug. And in the eyes of the FDA, CBD is still completely illegal and completely regulated by this federal agency. And they do it on the basis of that there have been a number of clinical trials uh, using CBD for medical purposes. In fact, there is now one prescription medication that uses CBD uh, to treat seizures. And so as a result, once you have 
a prescription drug using a substance. And once you have research, clinical trials that are overseen by the FDA, once that happens, then the FDA basically claims the power to regulate that drug. And when it does so, it claims that it can no longer be marketed as a supplement. It has to be marketed as a drug. So all of these folks that are out there selling CBD in basically every state in the country that are marketing is, you know, and that's kind of the way they do it. They say, we're not making any medical claims. You know, this is a food supplement, et cetera, et cetera. According to the FDA, they can't do it. So the bottom line is, according to the federal government, according to the FDA, CBD is still completely illegal, both uh, in terms of selling it as oil and also any food product that has CBD in it, according to the FDA, is completely illegal. So, you know, my my response to that is, yeah, so what? <laughs> you know, because like I said, uh, you know, there's there are stores right here in Lexington. There's a store in the mall now where I can walk in and buy CBD products. Um, so ha Bill, have you heard of any individual stores or online retailers or anything being targeted or shut down or anything happening with the FDA? Yeah, there have been some FDA enforcement efforts. Uh, if you go to their website, they, they talk about being very concerned about this proliferation of FDA. And uh, you can actually go on their website and you can find where they've sent letters. It's primarily been online retailers at this point mm -hmm. uh, that they've sent cease and, cease and desist letters to. Uh, telling them it's illegal and, and to stop selling it. Uh, so there have been some efforts like the federal efforts to regulate marijuana in states where it's been, been legal. It, it's been relatively feckless. The, the real test is going to be, will the states stand up and ignore the FDA when the FDA comes along? Because what's going to happen, I can almost guarantee you, is the FDA is going to come to the states and say, hey, you guys need to get this under control and crack down on this. And if the states go along and start enforcing the uh, will of the FDA, then you may see some severe restrictions on uh, CBD in the future. If states do what they did with hemp to start with and basically say, okay, FDA, you know, if you want to enforce it, enforce it yourself, then I think the status quo will continue and the market will continue to grow. It's really going to depend on what happens at the, at the state level. And something that's kind of disturbing is not too long ago, California, uh, their food and regulatory agency, I can't remember the name of it, but uh, they actually came along and said, hey, in California, we're going to enforce the federal law. So, uh, you know, they, they sent some, some agents and did some cease and desist. And of course, you can still walk into pretty much any place in LA and get CBD. So that even hasn't been real effective, but, but there certainly is the potential for there to be some type of crackdown. And something that's kind of disturbing is I've got a really good friend here in Kentucky that uh, has, has been involved in hemp industry for a long time. She sells CBD along with other hemp products and uh, Facebook just deplatformed her and apparently has deplatformed some other hemp companies basically saying, well, you can't sell drugs. Uh, and so you, you have to wonder, is this coming from the FDA? Is this coming from the pharmaceutical industry? There has to be pressure from somewhere else that's coming down on Facebook, uh, you know, trying to, to snuff out uh, these retailers. So uh, I'm, I'm concerned about the potential for more regulation, but I really think if, if people just stand their ground, particularly at the state level, and uh, I, I don't think that the FDA is going to be able to, to crack down the way they maybe want to, and what will ultimately happen is they'll back off. Do you think that this, the CBD, will is sort of a template for what could happen with marijuana? With marijuana, because marijuana is going to be in the same boat if it becomes federally legalized and the prohibition ends, because it's been used as a drug, right? No, absolutely. So, 
Is there a, a precedent? Is there anything else you can think of that's been that was used as a drug and then is also used as a supplement that's been in this same murky situation? I, I really can't. But then again, my my uh, my knowledge more broadly as far as mm. pharmaceuticals and, and health type products goes is is limited. I would say there probably has been. Um, you know, my friend Robert Scott Bell, he'd be somebody who would really know more about this. Is he's a homeopath and and deals okay. with this stuff on a daily basis in his work. But you know, marijuana is definitely going to be in the same boat. Right now, the, the federal government claims that marijuana has no use to schedule one. It's not medically beneficial. At some point, they're going to legalize marijuana. And, and then you have to wonder, well, what's the FDA going to do? The, the federal government wants to control everything. You know? So if they can't control it one way, they're going to try to figure out a way to control it another. And, and really, the bottom line is it's up to us, those of us who, who want the freedom to choose. You know, If you want to use CBD, that's great. If you don't want to use it, if you think it's dangerous, don't use it. <laughs> Those of us who want to control our own lives, to control what we put in our bodies, to control our own health, we have to be willing to stand up and basically say, federal government, we're not going to put up with you interfering. We're going to do what we want to do. As my friend Robert Scott Bell always says, stop asking permission where none is required. And I think that's the attitude we have to take. And we have to insist that our state regulators and our state legislators take that same approach. Because like I said, if the states don't enforce it, it's not going to get enforced. If the states go along with the feds, then we're going to have problems. Yeah. And I'm sure there will be some states. I mean, you've said California was already making moves to enforce it. So some there will probably be a, a push and pull back and forth. And I don't know. I, I would be I would be shocked with with hemp being legalized, industrial hemp being legalized. It's going to be so plentiful. Um, you would think that would drive down the costs of cost of producing CBD, it's just going to become impossible to, to keep it from people. Yeah, that's, that's what I think. You know, that's, that's really the power. We can talk about political nullification and we can talk about, you know, the, the enforcement mechanism. The bottom line is markets are powerful. And when people want something and that market develops, it's very, very difficult to put a lid on it once it happens. The, the feds can keep something limited while it's still limited, but once it blossoms up out of that pot, <laughs> pun intended, uh, it becomes very difficult to for the federal government to put the lid back on and control it. And, and so, you know, you look at alcohol prohibition, that was an abysmal failure because people weren't going to stop drinking. And I think at this point, people like me, I'm not going to stop using CBD. I'm going to figure out a way to get it. And, and I know plenty of people who are going to continue to produce it. So, uh, you know, I think the feds face a, a, a difficult road if they really want to try to crack down. But, you know, it's government, so they probably will try. I actually just got a, a real-time text message here. I, I posted on Facebook, I was having you on for any questions. And uh, the question is with regards to the U.S. financial system. I know you mentioned before with the passage of this farm bill, now it's easier for credit card companies, PayPal, et cetera, to transact with CBD. Um, is uh, How does that – uh, obviously that helps, but if, if states were to step in and make it illegal, could you have where you could maybe buy CBD products in Pennsylvania, but – you know, if the, if the producers in Ohio, they can't sell to New York or, I mean, is that, is that a real threat? Yeah, I think that if the FDA does have any success cracking down, it's going to be with the, the intrastate 
commerce with internet companies because they're easier to find and target. They're going to have a much harder time regulating the shop where I get my CB down the street. I mean, you know, it's one shop. So they're going to have a lot harder time finding her. Uh, as far as the banking regulations and stuff go, with it no longer being a controlled substance, regardless of what the FDA does, I don't think that they'll be able to bring the banking system to bear like they have with marijuana. We're, we're basically, if you're a marijuana business, you have to operate in cash because you know you can't. The credit cards won't process. The banks won't take your money because you know essentially the the federal government's using the Federal Reserve. Uh, to to keep a lid on those financial transactions. With hemp being legalized, uh, I don't think that will be a possibility. So it's basically going to be the FDA doing cease and desist and trying to fine and, and prosecute companies that, that are illegally selling hemp. Okay, yeah, that, that, that makes sense. So with that, I think we're going to move on from CBD. And I do want to play, I, I told you about a game we play on this show called Is It a Crime and Should They Do Time? Essentially, what I'm going to do is tell you about a uh, something that's occurred, someone who's been charged with a crime, explain the circumstances of what happened, and then you can weigh in if you think it should be a crime, and if so, if they should do any time or, or anything like that, what the punishment should be or could be. Cool. So we'll start out. This is in the Hudson Valley, so up in New York, and there's a woman up there, 32-year-old woman, who she pretended to be a 15-year-old homeless student and tried to enroll at a local high school. And she was arrested. This was at the end of December, December 28th. She was arrested and charged with first degree offering a false instrument for filing, a Class E felony, first degree falsifying business records, a Class E felony, and third degree criminal trespass, a Class B misdemeanor. So in this situation, somebody you know pretends they're someone they're not, tries to get into a high school, some 30-year-old woman, is this a crime and should there be a punishment? Should she do time? That's a good one. <laughs> it's, not, it's not as easy. I thought, oh, this will be easy. Uh, my, my first impulse is, is, is that you have a, a, a government institution that shouldn't exist. <laughs> so, you know, there, my inner anarchist comes out and, and says that really none of this should should even be able to happen because you shouldn't have public schools to begin with. But uh, I guess that's that's neither here nor there. Um, you know, I guess you could make a case. Here, here's, I guess, I want to know who the victim is. In my view, for there to be a victim, there has, for there to be a crime, there has to be a victim. And we're really not looking to punish people. We're really looking for actual justice where the, the, the cost that that crime has imposed upon another party is, is paid back. In this situation, I don't, I don't understand who's really been hurt. I mean, you can say the school's been hurt, but like I said, I don't think the school should exist. I, I think in general, fraud would be something that would be punishable because you can use fraud and, and there can be a victim of fraud. If, if you, you know, say you're something that you're not, uh, in order to get me to provide you some service or to, to give you some asset, then, you know, certainly I would be a victim. And in that case, there would be a crime. But it, but in this case, 
you know, an institution that I don't really think legitimately should exist is, is the quote unquote victim. So, you know, I'm kind of sympathetic to this woman, but in general, I think you could make a case that, that fraud would be a crime. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, certainly, um, you know, charging over the felony and, you know, saddling her with with that for life is not going to help this woman who obviously has has some problems right but if, if we did break this down and we made it a, a private school um, private schools could have their own uh, do have their own requirements and right. age limits and etc problem solved she tries to enroll they figure it out she's out the door and that's exactly you know and, and i guess theoretically in a in a uh you know a a private legal system. If the school mm-hmm. wanted to, it could go after her for whatever cost it incurred in educating her. But right. I mean, who in the right mind really would only the state would come up with something like that to, to want to punish somebody in that situation. Absolutely. Well, here's a, the second one here is also interesting. I think I know how you're going to weigh in, but um, it's still, it's still interesting discussion. So this is out in Colorado and an evergreen Colorado man got, uh, charged? No, he was convicted. It's a felony conviction for illegal outfitting activities. So what this guy was doing essentially was hunting mountain lion, I guess, without the proper permits. It is legal to hunt mountain lion in several states as long as you have the proper permits and it's during the, uh, the state-mandated season. This guy was doing it out of season. And he was also contracting his services to other people and helping them to uh, hunt mountain lion and uh, and process them. So he ended up being charged with I think well I think at the end of the day he's lost his second amendment rights. He's prohibited prohibited from ever possessing a firearm. And I think he has 2 years of supervised probation. And yeah, I think I think that's it. So no jail time. So with with all of this with knowing uh, what's happened here, uh, should this guy Andrew Pashley um, should he did a crime occur here, and should he do? Should there be any any punishment, any time? Yeah, I think in the in the big picture, there there was no crime. I mean, the the crime was again against the state. Well, who's the victim? Nobody's the victim, and the state's just mad because he didn't get the right permit. And so, you know, from from that pure perspective, I don't I don't think that that type of crime should exist. This is another example of something I think that would be solved with private property rights. Um, you know, if in a world where people control their own private property and there's not this blanket institution that's trying to dictate everything for everybody. You know, you might have a plot of land and you might be, Hey, hunt away, come, come on my land and hunt mountain lions. uh, And, you know, follow my rules on my property. And if you don't follow the rules, then, then there would be uh, recourse in a, in a legal system. But Another person might say, you know, I'm not going to let you on my property at all. So, so really, this is a private property issue to me. And, and the state coming in and imposing its will on all property everywhere, uh, I think, is pretty absurd. And so there's my inner decentralizer <laughs> coming in. So I, I agree with you. Private property is the answer. In our current, in our current environment where we do have hunting seasons and whatnot. If you hunt outside of those seasons, um, you, you can be charged with a crime and convicted. Um, should there be, do you think there should be any, any penalty for poaching and going outside of those limits? Is there any, is there, um, I guess there, is there, is there something morally wrong with that? I don't trust that bureaucrats are really capable of understanding and knowing 
when somebody should and should not hunt. I, I guess I have a, I'm, I'm skeptical of this central control imposition of, of an idea of when, you know, this day it's okay to hunt and this day it's not okay to hunt. And if you hunt this day, then you're going to be locked in a cage or at least have your second amendment rights stripped away. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you hunt on this day, that's cool. The, the centralized controlling aspect of government, I don't trust it. So it's hard for me. You know, I, I can, I think you could make some moral cases for, for overhunting and, and those type of things, but I'm not sure how you enforce that uh, by edict, particularly by government bureaucrats. And, you know, maybe I'm being a little bit too, uh, too wary of government, but I don't think so. <laughs> I, I don't think so either. And I, I don't have it in front of me, but there was something recently, I forget, it might have been an executive order. Um, it couldn't have been because then that would have passed through. But what Trump was trying to do, I think, out in, uh, in Wyoming was legalize the hunting or end the prohibition of hunting of grizzly bears because there's so many of them now. They're really, I don't know if they've passed the, th the threshold for being endangered or not, but at least in that area, there's so many that they're starting to cause problems and it becomes a public safety issue. So now you have government creating this public safety issue because they're not letting these, these sweet, sweet old grizzly bears that'll tear you apart. They're not letting them be hunted. Um, but yeah, but it's, it's, I mean, it's private property solves it. I guess I'm just having trouble with how do we get from where we are right now to that private property society. And it's, it's hard to even envision the path. Like for example, talking about CBD and legalizing uh, marijuana, I can see that path happening it, it, probably de definitely in our lifetime, but with getting private property straightened out, I, I can't see the path forward yeah. in our lifetime. That's, that's why I'm a big advocate of decentralization. And, you know, I would much rather see uh, a state impose its hunting regulations as opposed to having some type of federal regulations that apply, you know, over however many millions of square miles that encompasses the United States. And then from the state level, I'd rather see it move down to the county level and, you know, and then ultimately down to the individual level. But I, I think, I think the, the key to more liberty uh, from a practical standpoint is decentralizing, devolving power away from central authorities and, and dispersing them among multiple jurisdictions. Because then those jurisdictions have to compete against each other. You know, you can you can see where this did not work over here and this worked great over here. And, and, and you have competition just like you do in a regular marketplace. Uh, and, and obviously, that's not a perfect system either. But I really feel like that that decentralization is the path, path forward. And that's really, you know, the work of the 10th Amendment Center is focused on devolving power away from the federal government back to the states. States aren't perfect. You don't have to, you don't have to tell me about that. But again, it's much better to have 50 states making regulations on hemp than it is to have mm -hmm. universal federal prohibition. And uh, so, you know, that's, we're kind of the first step toward liberty at the 10th Amendment Center. Decentralize things away from Washington, D.C., devolve down to the state level, then devolve it down to the county level, and then ultimately we want to devolve it down to the individual level. Awesome. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for coming back on the show. If you could just tell people where they can find your work at the 10th Amendment Center or your work anywhere else, just uh, plug away. I know you have right. a bunch of bunch of podcasts as well. That yeah, you do. I got all kinds of stuff. So the, the main place I want people to go check out is 10thamendmentcenter.com and you spell out 10th and uh, there you'll see all of our work. There's an article there that that gives an overview of the CBD law. If, you, if you're 
you know, wanting to kind of get down into the weeds and, and see what the FDA is actually saying. Uh, but we work on a whole broad range of issues from marijuana to firearms to healthcare, uh, all working to, again, devolve power away from the federal government back to the states, which is what was intended in the first place. So uh, check that out, 10thamendmentcenter.com. Uh, you can find my own personal work and my own podcast, which is called Thoughts from Meharry Head. Uh, I do it every other week, and that's at michaelmeharry.com. And uh, I also post articles there from time to time. I've got a really good resource for people that are interested in the Constitution called Constitution 101 that you'll find on that page uh, that goes through some of the various clauses in the Constitution, like the Supremacy Clause and the Necessary and Proper Clause, and explains what they actually were understood to mean uh, during the ratification and at the time they were written. Uh, so there, if you're a Twitterer, I'm at mmeharry 10th, 10th with the one zero TH. I'm a really bad Twitterer, but I am there. Uh, yeah, I, you won't see any great t- Twitter wars. like if you're a follower of Tom Woods or Mike Malice or somebody like that, but uh, I'm there. And then if you're a Christian and you're interested in, uh, in libertarianism, voluntarism, and, and Christianity and how those things intersect, I have a website called godarchy.org. And uh, also do a podcast over there on uh, on Christianity and, and anarchism, basically. So not for everybody, but if, if that's your cup of tea, then definitely would love you to check that out. So, But Tenth Amendment Center, that's the most important link. Check that one first. Awesome. Well, thank you, Mike, so much for coming on and being so generous with your time today. Absolutely. It's always a pleasure. And uh, maybe in a few months, I'll be able to tell you that I finally beat the city of Lexington. <laughs> All right. Sounds good, Ben. Have a good one. All right. I want to tell you guys about a new podcast, friend of the show, friend of Lions of Liberty, Rachel Kennerly. Uh, she has a, a new podcast that focuses on cannabis. She brings on, much like Felony Friday, where I bring on people to share their story about their experience in the criminal justice system, Rachel brings on people to share their stories about how they've used cannabis to heal themselves, how they've used medicinal cannabis to find healing. The show is called Cannabis Heals Me. And on the show so far, um, she's interviewed a couple who has a child with epilepsy using the cannabis to, to treat the epilepsy, someone with a traumatic brain injury, a lupus survivor, and a woman who has a medical condition referred to as suicide disease. Uh, they publish one episode per week. You can find the episodes wherever you find podcasts, or you can check out the website at CannabisHealsMe.com. All right, let's get back to today's show. Hope you guys enjoyed today's episode of Felony Friday with Mike Maharry. Um, Mike is just a really cool guy, really laid back guy to talk to. I always enjoy uh, getting to uh, pick his brain and uh, ask him about issues such as what we talked about today with CBD oil and all of the regulations surrounding it. So hopefully you guys learned a lot from it. I know I did. And I actually came away with a lot of other questions too. I put a, I posted on my Facebook before this episode for questions for Mike, and actually a lot of questions came in after we recorded, but I did follow up with Mike on some of those questions, and he did point me in a uh, direction of a friend of his, a uh, acquaintance that has maybe a little more knowledge in you know the dosing of CBD and, and different things like that, which I was getting a lot of questions about. So I think I will be bringing on another guest here within the next couple of weeks to really dive into the details of it, the science behind it, and really how it works, things like that. So 
look forward to that. That's exciting. And if you want to give me feedback on this show or any of my shows, as always, as always, uh, you can reach out to me. Well, probably a good way, the way I prefer you do it, is by joining the Lions of Liberty Forum on Facebook. Go in Facebook, punch Lions of Liberty Forum at the top, and join. And you can uh, tag me in a post there if you have an article or something you want me to look at. Or you can email me. Email uh, felonyfriday at lionsofliberty.com, and I will get back to you as quickly as possible. You can send over your guest ideas or, or anything like that. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's about it. I guess one thing I do want to note is we are Lions of Liberty. We're looking into, um, we're actually finalizing right now, an affiliate program with a CBD oil distributor. So we're going to be um, affiliated with a CBD company and you'll be able to buy it through links that we have. And hopefully we'll be able to offer you some deal along the way there. I'm not exactly sure how that's going to work, but as soon as that's up, I will let you guys know. Hopefully for next week's episode, I'll have more information on that. And if uh, if you've tried CBD, if you haven't, if you're you know looking to try it out, you can uh, check it out through our link. And of course, like I said earlier, I will uh, work, I will effort to land another guest or two uh, to get you guys some more information on CBD and uh, the future of it and what, what we have coming down the pike here. So exciting stuff. I'm excited about it. And the only thing I'm going to say other than that is obviously I talk about you know, supporting us on Patreon every single week. I would love if you, if you guys did. Um, you can go to patreon.com slash lines of liberty. Check out all the, all the stuff there and we appreciate your support. So that is it guys hope you guys are enjoying your new year we're all the way up into the the second week of 2019 i can't believe it and i hate the winter (laughs) ready for spring so let's keep this year moving along that's it all right this is john odermatt signing off always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning